Uh, it's good to see you all again. My name is Kurt, uh, and it is. It's Advent season. It's uh, getting ready for, for the whole Christmas thing. And so we're going to start something new this morning. Uh, if you're kind of unfamiliar with Advent and kind of how it, it functions in a lot of other churches or spaces, it's, uh, depending on the church you're in, five to six weeks leading up until Christmas. And it's very much kind of preparing ourselves. for What does it mean that Jesus, this birth of Jesus that we celebrate during Christmas time, what does that mean for the world? What does it look like? Um, and how are we kind of preparing ourselves for this story? So usually families will come forward. You'll read some part of the story of Jesus' birth, light a candle. Uh, and we're going to do something similar here. Um, but we're going to focus on one particular section of the story about Jesus. And so uh, we're going to read it first, and then we'll talk a little bit about it. If you have your Bible with you uh, on an app or all that, I encourage you to read along so you can kind of read above and, and below. We're going to be looking at Luke 1. Um, and we're going to be starting in Luke 1, verse 46. The section is called Mary's Song. Uh, and Mary um, apparently was just ready to make a song when she found out she was going to have a baby. She was prolific in multiple ways. So uh, we want to read this song here. Luke 1, 46 says, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has great, done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud and the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things, and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. Here's where we want, we want to talk about this story and this song this Christmas season. Um, one, it's important when we, we talk about the Bible. Uh, a lot of times we can think that the Bible is just a collection of the things that happened. Uh, which is, it's not true. It, it's a collection of the stories that they felt like was worth years later, they got repeated enough that was worth inclusion and writing it down and capturing it. If you're kind of unfamiliar with the ancient world, uh, when the majority of the world is illiterate, you don't write a lot of things down. And so in, in our world today, there's a lot of writing things down and then a lot of um, emphasis is put on. You've got to write it down as soon as possible so you can capture the accuracy of what happened. But certainly during the time of Jesus, that's not how things operated. So what were the stories that were repeated? What were the ones that were told about who Jesus was and how Jesus operated? Because as brief as these, these four stories of Jesus that we have, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, certainly we're not including everything. So what we include and why we include it matters. This is a song they believe that Mary sung about Jesus. We included it because we believe that this song told us something about who Jesus was going to be. If she was wrong, we would have just forgotten about it. Mary probably wouldn't have gone around repeating it. Like, hey, remember that song where I was all wrong? She'd be like, I don't think I sang a song, actually. That doesn't sound like me. We include it because it's telling something about Jesus, and so that's why we want to sit with this story. 
Here, here's what I think is, is significant about this story. I was thinking uh, this time, we went and got our Christmas tree yesterday. We put up our Christmas lights, Christmas music's playing, Christmas movies come back. You think of the, the Christmas carol. What does Tiny Tim say, you know, in that, that scene where, where Tiny Tim's yelling out, like the famous one? God bless us. God bless us, everyone. And there's something about that that feels like Christmas, right? That if you go to the tree in downtown Portland or whatever city you're a part of, if you get that feeling, you want to look around and say, yeah, God bless us, everyone. But that is not what Mary is saying, is she? Or maybe Mary is saying, God bless us, everyone. But the way blessing would function is those that are hungry are fed and those that are rich and fat go away empty-handed. That's a different kind of blessing. That's a different kind of way of talking about who God is and how God operates in the world. It's not uh, Oprah-esque stage where like just by showing up, you get a car, you get a car, you get a car. It's no. There's actually a way where some people are in need of blessing, are in need of liberation, and other people have participated in their marginalization and oppression, and for them, what is liberating is for them to be brought low. It's not just, let's just find out the most wealthy, affluent, free person that we can do and raise everybody to that level. It's different. And that level of difference, I think if you've grown up in, in the United States of America, that's a very different story than the American dream. The American dream is, think of Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk. You do it too. You know, just find a garage somewhere and start a new product no one's done, and you'll probably reach those, those heights too. That's not what Mary's singing about. Mary's singing about a different kind of justice, and how I think this influences the power of Jesus. What we want to focus on in this kind of Mary song advent is we want to talk about power this morning. How power functions. What are power dynamics and how are they operating? Because Mary's song seems to acknowledge power dynamics. That it's not just all equal. It's not just God blesses everyone. It's actually some have a lot of power and that's not good for them. And some have none and that's not good for them either. Um, as we talk about this, I want to note that uh, everyone being blessed in an unjust system isn't mutual blessing. If the starting line is an unjust system, then just blessing everyone isn't actual mutual blessing. It's not good. It's not liberation. It's not freedom. And when we talk about power, the reason why we're talking about it in churches is, is one of our most dangerous relationships that we can have to power is the ones we refuse to acknowledge. So if you say, I don't know, you don't want to talk about power this morning? I don't know that I have any power. Well, that's a really dangerous relationship to have with power, to not acknowledge it or not be there. And in fact, there's some ways where people put on a false humility about the power that they have. I'm like, I don't know, I don't really have any power. Well, that's really dangerous. In fact, to know what your power is and how you put it into the world matters. And I think Mary is talking about this, and certainly the life of Jesus demonstrates. Jesus understands how power operates. And let's just talk for a second about why this matters. 
in the church, people that grow up in Christianity, when they get like really mad at someone and they, they yell at them, and it could be a, a server at a restaurant. It can be someone that's working at a store. There's this underlying justification of like, well, you know, Jesus threw over those tables. So sometimes you got to get mad. That is completely ignoring all power dynamics and just saying, yeah, sometimes you get mad and it's fine. Who did Jesus get angry at? And what power did those individuals hold? Because we don't see situations where Jesus used his power to get angry, to chastise those that didn't have power within the system and structures. Who did Jesus speak words of liberation to and come alongside? Lepers, women in the ancient world in a patriarchal system where they had no power. Children, children were the, the lowest of the lower in the power dynamic. Such the disciples are like, ah, let's keep the kids away from Jesus. And Jesus said, no. You have to become like these children if you want to understand what the kingdom of God is like. So he wasn't just saying, you want to understand what the kingdom of God is like? You've got to become like a Pharisee. They've really studied this stuff. It's actually a reverse system because he's dealing with these power dynamics in every way. So to take an understanding of Jesus and divorce it from power dynamics isn't the gospel anymore. It's not good news. That's why it's important to talk about this. Let's talk about a way this functions between adults and kids. So uh, if you happen to be an adult or you happen to be around kids, um, what is so fascinating to zoom in on is, is most any household around bedtime, you have two very different sets of individuals feeling powerless at the exact same time. One's like, I don't want to go to bed. Why are you forcing me to go to bed? I'm actually doing great. I'm fantastic right now. I'll be honest with you. I haven't had this much energy all day. I think I could knock some things out, some projects around the house. Let's do it. And the adults are like, why won't you just go to bed? If I hear that door open one more time. It's because there's, there's this understanding that we have that in fact... Adults in that system have all the power, even if they don't feel like they do. And when adults within that particular situation don't recognize the power they have, they're at the most danger of abusing it, of harming children in that place. Because here, here's the thing we're going to talk about later. When it comes to power, whenever you feel threatened, you're going to make access of whatever power you have to defend yourself. We, we talk about this a lot. We're going to talk about things that are happening in our world today. It's a situation we seem to not understand in this country. Kyle Rittenhouse felt threatened. I don't doubt that for a second. He also brought an automatic weapon with him. And when you do that, of course you're going to use it to defend yourself because you have it. So when we have a whole court system that goes on and on and on about did he feel threatened, it's the wrong conversation, and it ignores the massive power and balance that we have. You bring an automatic weapon to this room, you have the most power. I don't care how threatened you feel, you have all the power. And when you refuse to acknowledge that, then you're going to use it to defend yourself, and you're actually the oppressor. You're actually the one doing the violence and the attack in that. So we have to acknowledge those things, that how they function in the room. 
And we have to acknowledge that simultaneously, lots of people feel powerless. And that's okay. I don't want to tell you that if you have systemic power in a room, you should never feel powerless. You should feel powerless. You should get in touch with the fact that I don't feel like I have any power. And yet, I do have it. And going back to the situation of Jesus, I'm sure Jesus was in many spaces where he felt powerless. Of course he did. That's part of being human, is not feeling like you have it. But when you recognize that you actually do have that power, you relate to it differently. And we're going to talk about what that could look like. Let's just talk for a second about spheres of power. Because uh, there's a lot of them. And these are only some. There's going to be even more that we can throw up. Spheres of power, you have financial power in a room. Uh, just look at like any evangelical church mission trip ever. Is you show up, and because you have the money, you're like, I guess I'm in charge here. Uh, build a house there. <laughs> well, let's do some high schoolers. They can do it. They'll build it there. When you have money in different things, you feel like you're in charge. And it doesn't matter in that situation you feel like, well, I don't actually feel that powerful. If you're utilizing your financial power in that, you are leveraging power in that circumstance. Uh, there's power of gender. Depending on different cultures and spaces, there are places where uh, one of the reoccurring things that you see in like a workplace or an office space, even in a church space, someone, woman, person of color, will say an idea. People will be like, huh. And then later, me, white male, will say the exact same thing, and people will be like, ah, yeah, that's a good idea. Let's write that down. I think we should pursue that idea. Why? Because there's been a conditioning within that room that truth and wisdom comes from white males. Why? Because white males keep on having the microphone and holding powers in position. So we've conditioned ourselves to receive wisdom from white males. So when a white male says it, we receive it differently. You have to recognize that there's a power in gender in different rooms and different spaces. There's a power of race. Depending on where you are, your racial background can either give you incredible power or esteem in a room or have you none, uh, give you none. And again, going back to the mission trip, that's where, again, a lot of... <laughs> Two examples of this that, that always make me laugh is when people are like, oh, I know what it's like to be poor. Because for like two months in college, I only ate macaroni and cheese. And you're like, no, that's not what it's like to be poor. <laughs> you cosplayed poverty for a very short period of time, and your parents were a phone call away, and you had a credit card likely in your pocket that you could utilize it every time. You just didn't want to. And the other one is where white people go on a mission trip or travel abroad. And they're like, no, I know what it's like to be the minority. Because one time I went to another country and I'm like, oh no, maybe for the first time in their life, there's not a lot of people that look like me here. I'm in the vast minority of people here. That's not actually surrendering your power, especially if you go to a place where you have the financial power in the room. So it's not that those things don't help us understand and hopefully empathize, but we don't get to point to those. You don't get to point to the outliers to say, oh yeah, I get it, that's how this works. That would be an abuse of power. It's abusing the power that you have to not have to live in that. There's relational power. 
this is one where I feel it works here in a church building. If you've uh, been at Cascade since the beginning of Cascade, there's a kind of relational power you have in the room. You can look around and recognize faces. If you know a number of people here, you feel it. And what's interesting, especially in church systems, but it happens in lots of different circumstances, people that have been around a church and know a group of people, they don't feel like they have any power on a Sunday morning. But when you show up at a church for the first time and you don't recognize anyone's face, you now realize what a power relationships are. You feel it in your bones. I don't have any power here. I don't have relationships with anyone. And this is one of the ways that relationship or our relationship to power matters. When you come into a space and you have relationships and you know people, you can either utilize that power for yourself. I'm gonna go connect with all the people I know and see, and that's good. We, we should continue saying hi to people. Or you say, wait, because I know these other folks, it actually might be helpful if I go greet someone I don't know and help introduce them to other folks because I have those relationships. That's a way that I can share that power for others instead of using that power just for myself. Physical. Um, I was having a conversation with Sarah, with my co-pastor about this. We were talking about, uh, in general, we would both align as pacifists. Like, I did violence, I just don't think it ever is really the answer. It really works. What's interesting is, is she was sharing, as a female, she's like, physical violence, fighting someone, has never made sense to her. It's always a bad idea. And then we talked about our friend who is six foot six, 280 pounds. He actually has to wrestle with what does physical violence look like? Why? He's in a form with which he could effectively use physical violence to protect himself or other people that he cares about. So it's something to, to be aware of if there's a power that you have in your physical being when you walk in a space. Are you aware of that? Even if you're like, I've never hit any, I don't want to hit anyone. I hate violence of all kinds. Sure, but there's still a power that you embody by walking in the room that makes other people feel threatened. That doesn't mean that you should just feel bad about it all the time. It means you should be aware of it. And are you intentionally positioning yourself in a room to help other people feel comfortable? And culture. Understanding culture and how cultures function when you walk into it. Again, if you've ever gone with someone, uh, I think about when I was a kid, and I would go over to a friend's house. They would have all these rules that I didn't understand. I didn't know how they worked. And it felt, you feel it so strongly when you're in those places. Like when my friend would get up from the dinner table and then would take his plate and go wash it and clean it in the sink, I'd be like, do I do that too? Is that? My mom would be so mad if I tried to do this at my house because I would be doing it wrong. But I think I have to go do that thing now. So what I want to talk about is this, this last thing, because I think this captures some of Mary's song, that there is a leveling of power. We recognize that those with power are surrendering it, and those without are giving it. Is again, power in and of itself is neutral. Usage of power is never neutral, but power in and of itself is. Are we tracking with that? It's a, it's a bit of a word salad. 
Power in and of itself, it's not good or bad, it just is. Think of all the examples we used. Your physical size, you didn't do anything to create that. It's just the body you were born in, the culture you're a part of, your gender, or people, how people perceive your gender. All of those are power, it's neutral. But your usage of that power is never neutral. It has real world impact on others. And so I wanna talk about the difference of power over or power with. Power over looks like domination, right? So I have this power, so I'm gonna use it to protect myself. Any movie from the 80s that dealt with bullies, this was power over. You would use your power to make other people feel bad. You were, what was the older brother in Home Alone? Buzz, yeah. Buzz is a big power over guy. Kevin McAllister's uncle, look what you did, you little jerk. That's power over energy. You're using the power that you have to dominate another person, to put them in a sphere of influence. It's to intimidate, it's to control, and even to gaslight. You, you can't gaslight information if you don't have power. You can't tell people their understanding of information is wrong unless you can in some ways control the narrative. If you have the power to say, well, I'm the one who gets to interpret the narrative. And power over is usually how people, again, function with power if they're not aware of it and they feel threatened at all. And going back to our parent-child situation, there's often situations where everyone's feeling threatened at the same time. You've been in workspaces, you've gone to churches, you've been in family dynamics where everyone's feeling threatened at the same time. And how does that end? Usually whenever the most powerful person in the room decides it needs to end. Because they're gonna pull the trump card. They're gonna dominate the situation and put an end to it. I think what Jesus embodied and lived, and the reason why we call back to Mary's song is what Mary is calling for, inviting, and this is what the God of the universe would invite us into is power with. Power with looks like liberation. You find people that are enslaved, you find people that are in control, you find people and you free them. I think about situations with children all the time that feel dominated in their household and the role of a teacher or a mentor or someone who comes up that calls out their power. You do this really well. This is amazing. You should lean into this more. That was another adult in their life who has power in them and they're using that power to liberate them, to free them from a sense of control. You use it to empower, you use it to free. These are similar terminologies, the same kind of things. That you see those that feel unempowered in situation and you utilize whatever power you have for their sake. And the last one is we use it to empathize. When you have power in a circumstance, it's important to get in relationship with the places and spaces where you didn't have it. And it's a great way of getting you re back in touch with how power should be functioning. For all of us here this morning, I imagine that you can think of a space, you know a space where you have power. 
And I think, what does it look like there to share that? What does it look like to use power with the other individuals? A workspace, a home environment. And I'm also sure that you can envision a place where you don't have power. Or where the power is being used over you. Where the power is being used to control you. My invitation is to see how those two things are interrelated. If you're in a circumstance where you don't have power and someone continues to use that power over you, there's not a lot you can do in that particular environment. Unless it's to, and this is the great joy of labor unions. What is a labor union? Recognizing power dynamics and restructuring them. No, actually, we do have a power here, but we only have a power if we organize together. What does it look like to bring together power for the sake of power with? Because I would say this. In Mary's song, there's one interpretation of that that's like, hey, this, is, this song goes out to everyone who doesn't have power. And it's just about them. It's about liberating and freeing them, and I think it is. But I also think if the good news is good news, it's good news for the powerful. It's not good to have that much power. Not to go all Kanye on you, but you shouldn't have that much power. It doesn't do good things for us. And if we're using power with other individuals, then we don't need to centralize it and hold all of it. How can we participate in the liberation of the individuals around us who are enslaved by power in ways that to them will probably feel like violence, will feel like greater threat, but ultimately it is for their liberation. It is for, it is good news for them to not be beholden to all those kinds of power. And again, my encouragement is to think about both environments, where you have power and where you don't. Oftentimes, we just like to fixate on one, where I have all the power or where I don't have any power. And that becomes a kind of loop within us. It starts to define who we are, but we're all complex individuals that in different environments, we do have power. If we're always thinking about where we don't have it, we're actually going to be more likely to misuse the power we do have, because we don't recognize it. We feel like I'm always being oppressed, so there is no violence I can do. And if we always focus on the power that we do have, and given away, we can be unaware of the ways in which we are in harm's way, where we have been oppressed, where we have been harmed by others. Last caveat I want to put on this. This whole message, everything we just talked about, you can do this message anywhere. Because if there's anything Christians love, it's talking about being oppressed. And what, what I think is interesting, the last song that Sunya led, The Kingdom Is Yours, what's fascinating about that song is, I've heard some people, because we've, we've sung it here a couple of times, it's from this great organization called Common Hymnal, where they have lots of diverse voices writing songs together. And some people are like, I don't like that song. Because the kingdom's, it feels like the kingdom's saying it's for me. Which is interesting because it reveals if you always think of yourself as the star of the story, if it's always about you, if you're always the central figure, then it might feel a little uncomfortable. 
But if you start to recognize that, oh, I fit in different roles in this. I've shared this a number of times, and you know what? I'm about to do it again. If you read the Bible, everyone likes to put themselves in the role of the disciples. If you are an American, if you grew up with American citizenship, and especially if you're an American male, I'm sorry, the disciple role's not you. You're the Roman Empire. And in fact, I, I think the role that fits best for us to wrestle with is we're a bunch of Pontius Pilots, where we have power granted to us by another entity, and we are at a crossroads of justice or injustice. And it's probably going to cost us some amount of our power to do something that is in, in participating in the liberation of others. But we have a choice to make. Do I get involved, or do I wash my hands and walk away? In the midst of this whole story, it's sitting with where does the power lie and how do I use it and how do I not continue to think of myself as always the victim, always the oppressed, always the one that needs to be liberation. That kind of victim mentality isn't helpful in the midst of the story. What happens is that everyone loves Mary's song because they're like, yeah, we should tear down the bad one. Who? Someone always has more power than you somewhere. So they're always the ones that need to fall. There's never anything within you that needs to deal with. That's how we get the brand of American Christianity we get today. A persecution complex, always, always. How do we sit with it all? Would you pray with me? God, I pray that um, we would have eyes to see and ears to hear the places that power lies, the power in us and the power in others. And God, like Mary's song, like the life and ministry of Jesus, God, will we participate in power with? God, will we recognize the power that we have in places and will we use it to liberate others, to share that power with others, to empower others God, to see that your image that is in each and every one of us, may it be unbound. May it be freed and liberated all around us. And God, may we unbind the powerful from their undue measure of power. God, may there be a leveling and a freeing that can truly be good news. And God, may that be what we celebrate this Christmas season. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.